You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. So, Jesus and the Spirit is the name of our series, and we're going to be looking at a few chapters in the book of John. Part of the, the thinking, my thinking behind this series uh, comes from this idea that I've had many times and which I've actually discussed with some of you uh, at one point or another. And that's where you go, assuming the Bible's true, right? So let's assume that all the stuff that is said about Jesus in the Bible is true. These stories about Jesus, who he is and so on is true. Wouldn't it have been cool to actually have met him, like in his body, you know, just be around at that point, maybe you've shaken his hand, maybe you've heard one of his talks, maybe you've seen one of the miracles. Like, wouldn't that have been cool? Like, how good would that have been? Like, to actually see Jesus, maybe to talk to Jesus. Uh, you know, you could have maybe asked him questions, maybe you could have done a guest spot preaching here at church. Uh, that's, we wouldn't need any preaching after that. You know, it would just be Jesus, and that's enough. Wouldn't this be a great thing? You know, in fact, again, assuming everything here is true... But that would be like the ultimate spiritual experience to have met Jesus in his body. Scratch that. That would be the ultimate life experience to have actually met Jesus. So this is what I've thought at various times. And I know I've discussed it with, with some of you and we've sort of had you know, similar sort of thoughts. However, Jesus would not agree with that thought. Uh, and if you flick forward, this is one of those talks where having your Bible open will be really useful. Um, so if you flick forward to John chapter 16, um, just a page on from where we were reading, and have a look at verse 7, I'll show you why Jesus would not think meeting him physically was the ultimate life experience. He says in chapter 16 of John, verse 7, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's for your good that I am going away. And that's basically what this three-week series is going to be about. Why is it for the good of people like us that Jesus is no longer walking around earth, breathing, eating, talking, etc.? Why would this be a good thing to not be with Jesus in that way? So we're going to look at um, three passages from the book of John in this section, basically from chapter 13. We won't look at chapter 13, but there's this section in John that goes from chapter 13 through to chapter 16. It's the one setting. It's sort of the one long discussion he's um, having with his disciples. We're going to have a look at that in a bunch of detail. And I'm not going to, like, keep it secret... It's like, whoa, what is the reason that it would be good for Jesus to go? The reason is that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. When it says in that verse, he's going to send the advocate, that's what he's talking about, the Holy Spirit. We'll see that word advocate pop up a few times tonight. Um, so it's, the reason it's good that Jesus is gone is because he sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now I'm aware when we talk about the Spirit or the Holy Spirit or as he's sometimes referred to, the Holy Ghost which thankfully we've sort of stopped using that term because it did have a bit of a bedsheet vibe going on. Um, so the Holy Spirit, and you go, uh, 
okay, um, there's going to be a variety of experiences and knowledge of the Holy Spirit in the room. I mean, obviously, if you're visiting, maybe Christianity is new to you generally, so um, you know, everything's going to be new. But even if you have been at church for a long time, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll know a lot about the Spirit. In fact, Jordan, totally unprepared by me, mentioned that in his prayer, that sometimes we're less familiar with the Spirit than we perhaps would like to be. Now, we have this idea in Christianity called the Trinity, and I'm going to explain that in a bit more detail later. But the basic is we think of God as three and one at the same time. Okay? So we think of God as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's one God. It's not three different gods, but there's three persons of God, is sort of the theological way we might refer to it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can tend to connect pretty well with the father because, you know, they're dads and, like, there's dads in the room. We sort of know what a dad is. And then we can connect with the son because that was Jesus and Jesus became a human being like you. And so you know what a human is. Uh, But the spirit is invisible. And the spirit actually, or a spirit, are spiritual things, much less defined. Harder to, can you visualize the spirit? How does that work? And so I tend to think sometimes when it comes to the spirit, it's a bit like the Ablett family in football. Right? So if you follow footy a little bit, you're probably familiar with the Ablett family. Right? So you've got, uh, on the left there, you've got Gary Ablett Sr., uh, voted, I think, third greatest um, player of the 20th century uh, and kicked tons of goals, played for cats. So there's the father. Then we've got his son, Gary Ablett Jr., widely considered to be the best player of this century, uh, played for cats, went to Gold Coast, back to the Cats. And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he's the son. So they, these two, I mean, as far as AFL footballers, these are two of the most well-known AFL footballers of all time. Uh, now, don't call out the name, but hands up who knows the first name of the other Ablett who played AFL. All right, so we've got five hands, I think. Okay, so it's Nathan Ablett. Gary Ablett's younger brother. Uh, And you can see there, he's wearing a a grand final medallion. So he played in a premiership and won uh, a grand final with the Cats. He actually played quite well in that game, but then he retired quite early. I think sort of retired in his early 20s and didn't really pursue football long term. And sometimes I think the Holy Spirit's a bit in the Nathan category in the sense that you might have heard it, like Ablett, that sounds familiar. Nathan, oh yeah, did he play like once? Who did he play for again? And you sort of got that, you know, Church people have some recognition of the word Holy Spirit, but it's less certain if you'll know the details of the Holy Spirit and and you'll really know a lot about the Spirit. So hopefully in this series, by the end of this series, you'll be much more familiar with the Spirit uh, and more importantly, you'll be much more aware of the Spirit's work in your life. So what is the context of this passage that we're looking at? Well, it's this gathering of Jesus and his disciples. So this is his 12 close friends. He's preparing these guys to lead the church after he's gone. Uh, And it says at the start of uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. It was just before the Passover meal uh, festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So Jesus knows time's close. I'm about to die on the cross, rise again, and go to heaven. He knows that time's just around the corner. So having loved his own, talking about his disciples, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he wants to 
keeps showing love to these guys. He wants to keep preparing them for it when he's gone. And so this whole conversation he has from chapter 13 and, and onwards is about preparing his disciples for life without Jesus being around, without Jesus leading the team in the way he has been so far. And so uh, then in chapter 14, uh, he, sa- he says to them, I've got a spot for you in heaven. You know, I'm gonna, when I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. There's going to be plenty of rooms and, and you're going to have a spot there for you. And they go, well, what's the way to do that, Jesus? Like, how do we actually get there, you know? Um, and he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. It's this famous quote from Jesus, which we did preach on earlier in the year. If you scour through the podcast archive, you'll probably be able to find it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want that eternal life, if you want relationship with God the Father, then the way to get that is through Jesus. So he's very clearly establishing that for his disciples. And then, in this passage that we've had read for us today, he tells them what's going to happen in the meantime. Because uh, he's not preparing them for a suicide cult, right? So he's not like, now we'll pass the blue cordial around and we'll be in that place I've prepared for you in a couple of minutes. It's not what he's doing. He wants people to live a long life. He wants these guys to start the church. And so what he's doing is he's preparing them for this period where he's not going to be around in his body, uh, but they're not in heaven yet. And so he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the Spirit to continue the work that I've been doing. Um, And uh, he makes a lot of connections between himself and the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you an example of that from... Uh, 14 verse 16 so he says I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth so two direct connections just in that one verse alone the first is the word truth so Jesus refers to himself as I am the way the truth and the life and then what's his name for the spirit the spirit of truth Both of them have this key role in bringing truth to the world. The second direct connection is the word advocate, where he says the Father's going to send another advocate. So that means there's already one. So the first advocate is Jesus, and the second advocate is the Spirit, both playing the role of advocate. You might go, what is an advocate? Excellent question. Let's talk about that for a moment. If you were to look it up in the dictionary, it would say something like this. A person who publicly supports a particular cause. That's what an advocate is. Uh, a couple of modern-day examples for you. Lawyers are basically advocates for their clients. So they'll stand up next to someone in court, they'll act on their behalf, they'll speak on their behalf, they'll give them the support they need to pursue whatever the case is, they'll give them advice, they'll correct them when they're getting things wrong, they'll encourage them when they're upset. That's sort of the role of a lawyer. A lawyer is a type of advocate. Another example would be maybe a disability advocate or a refugee advocate. I think we actually have some refugee advocates in our church. Uh, You might be familiar with the fact that a bunch of Syrian refugees have moved to Altham recently, uh, fleeing the terrible situation there, and they've come to to Altham. And so some people from our church and other churches around have been helping them get settled into life in a new country. Uh, Just things like getting them furniture for their house and teaching them English and helping them get their kids into school or understand Centrelink and the just crazy hoops they make you jump through for the most simple things like that refugees need help with this sort of thing as well as people speaking on their behalf 
um, and, and letting people know the needs that are there. So that's another sort of advocate that we have. Someone who rep- uh, you know, speaks publicly and supports a particular cause. So Jesus was an advocate. Jesus was an advocate for good relationships. He was a good, an advocate for good relationships between people and God the Father. And he was an advocate for good relationships between people and other people. He said, love God and love your neighbour. And he, did, he advocated for that in all sorts of ways. Um, he did a lot of teaching, helping people understand God, helping people understand how we should live together and look out for each other. Uh, he did that through encouragement, particularly with his 12 disciples, getting them involved, helping them to participate, teaching them how to do different things, giving them a go. And he also corrected people. When people were wrong, they were saying the wrong thing, believing the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, he wasn't afraid to speak up and correct those things because he was advocating for good relationship. Now, along comes the Spirit. The Spirit is another advocate. And the Spirit is not a different sort of advocate, right? It's not like Jesus was doing all that stuff and then the Spirit comes and advocates something completely different. Actually, the Spirit comes to advocate the same thing. Have a look in verse 26. This is a key verse where Jesus says, and by the way, most of the passages in this series will be the words of Jesus. Not descriptions of what Jesus is doing, but Jesus speaking himself. So that's definitely the case here. Where he says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's not teaching something separate. He's reminding us of what Jesus has already taught. So there's not going to be contradictions there. If you ever hear somebody say, the Spirit has spoken to me and told me this and we all need to do this, and it contradicts what Jesus has taught in the Bible, what God's taught in the Bible, then you should be questioning that that was actually from the Spirit. Because they're not going to be in contradiction. They're going to work together in unity. Um, Have a look in verse 17, the second part of verse 17. It says, The world cannot accept him, talking about the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Now again, that's the, the invisible factor with the Spirit. It's not a physical body. You can't see the Spirit like you could have seen Jesus. He says, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And this is, this is a slight difference between the way Jesus was an advocate and the Spirit was. Because it says, The Spirit will be with you and live in you. And so Jesus was with people. He did that, you know, just as you can be with other people. Um, but he didn't live inside people, but because of the Spirit, different, doesn't have this physical body, the Spirit can come and live inside you. And actually that happens. We see that play out. If you read the book of Acts, which is all about what happened after Jesus was gone, Acts chapter 2, what happens? There's these Christians hanging out, having a prayer meeting. They're a bit timid, they're kind of in hiding at this point. They've kind of lost their mojo because Jesus isn't with them anymore, so their confidence is down. Um, but they're still praying and they're, they're, they're still trusting God. And then this amazing thing happens, this sort of miraculous sight. The Spirit of God just comes down to the, to the prayer meeting and, and all these miracles happen and the Spirit starts living inside of people and the church just grows like crazy. Hundreds, thousands of people becoming Christians every day. 
because of this amazing thing of the Spirit coming to live inside of people. So this isn't just a promise that Jesus makes that's still somewhere far off. It happened, and it's continuing to be a reality for us today. And it explains why it is a good thing that Jesus is gone. right? Because if Jesus was still stuck in a body and could only be in one place at one time, then I'm sure if you were in that place at that time, it would be great, but everyone else, the billions of other people around the world, would not get to experience that. But because now... God lives inside, takes up residence inside everyone who follows him. God can be at work wherever he wants, through people, or he can just, through his spirit, just be at work in people's lives, even if there's no Christians around. This is why it's good to have the spirit sent by Jesus, and Jesus not to be limited to his body anymore. He doesn't have to be physically with us. Now, I mentioned the word Trinity before. And I thought it would be worth just working out how that works and how all this fits together, right? Because Jesus is connecting himself with the Spirit very directly. He's also mentioning the Father a lot and very much connecting himself and the Spirit with the Father. He does that in the passage we've had to read today and the passage before, and he continues to do it in the passage after. So what's going on? Uh, Well, this is, again, the Trinity, this idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's one God. Uh, the word trinity comes from the word tree, uh, sorry, tri, three, meaning three, and the word unity meaning one, united. Put those together, you get trinity. Um, now, I did notice that like geek culture, you know, like fiction, likes to use the word trinity as like code names for secret agents and organizations and stuff. Um, you know, any organization that's a bit mysterious and you don't know exactly what's go- you know, how they work and so on, uh, seems to get, you know, Trinity seems to be one of the names that's high on the list for those groups. And it sort of makes sense because this idea of the Trinity is a bit mysterious and is complicated and is hard to pin down really simply and clearly. And so as you think about God being three and one at the same time, it's possible that your brain's going to get sore trying to work out all the details of how that works. And so people try and come up with illustrations as to, to you know, how this can work. Can anyone got any illustrations demonstrate the Trinity that you could just sh- share? Stick your hand up and call it out. Down the front here. Nice and loud, please. A plait. Okay, so this is when you plait someone's hair and there's three strands in the plait, but then it's one plait. So something can be three, so there's three strands of hair, but it can also be one because there is a plait. Cool. Any other illustrations I've got? Yep. Yes, so H2O can be water or it can be ice or it can be steam. Three, but also one. Yep. Neapolitan ice cream. (laughs) It's all ice cream, but it's got three flavours. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, one more at the back. The window at the back of the old church. Yeah, there is actually like a diagram of the Trinity on the window right up the top there. So if you want to check that out later before the sun goes down, I can't really read it from here. It's in Latin. Um, actually, just it looks a bit like Andy. Andy on the computer. It looks a bit like this diagram that I've got. The sort of swirly. Oh, you took that out, did you? Thanks, man. Um, there's a diagram I'll put it up another week (laughs) so um, now 
All these illustrations can be helpful just to show how something can be three and one at the same time. However, as with most illustrations in most situations, if you take them to an extreme, they don't completely work. They're sort of helpful to get you thinking about it, but they won't sort out all the details. So for example, if we take the water, ice, steam one, which is the first one that I ever heard, um, yeah, that can be helpful. There's the diagram there. Um, uh, That can be helpful, but at the same time, it can only be one thing at a time. It can't be both ice and steam at the same time. You, you know, one state, but whereas God can be all three at the same time. So he's not restricted in that way. And all the other illustrations will have strengths and weaknesses to them. Um, but I'm kind of happy that it's complicated. I know about you, but when you believe in a God who created the infinite universe, like everything ever, do we really want him to be like easily summarized in a 25-minute talk? Let's be honest, I usually go for 30 minutes. Do we really want him to be easily summarized in a 30-minute talk? Like, and you can just go, boom, Trinity, sorted, got it, 30 minutes, done. I'm happy that there are some things that we believe that are difficult to understand, that you could think about your whole life, and yeah, you'll grow in it, you get a better idea of it, but you're not going to completely work it out because you're not God, you're just a person. And there is an element of mystery and an element of some unknownness about God, and yet he's kind enough and generous enough to show us the basics and to show the things we really need to have a relationship with him. So I love the way God works in that way, um, making himself so big that we can't get our heads around him, but making himself small enough that we um, can have that relationship with him. Let's have a look at verse 18. This is... When you read this, you wouldn't necessarily straight away think this is a verse about the Trinity. But let me just show you how in a simple verse like this, it can actually be present. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Simple sentence. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Thing is, Jesus has just been talking about the fact that he's leaving. So what's this idea that he's coming? Because he's leaving. And so what he's saying is, as I send the Spirit, that means I'll be coming to you. So I am leaving, my physical body is leaving, but I'm coming to you through the Spirit. So look at that direct connection. That is not delegating the Spirit just to do some work. It's not like getting the work experience guy to go off and you know, do some of those jobs. This is actually Jesus coming himself uh, uh, through the Spirit. And then it says, I will not leave you as orphans. So what's an orphan? An orphan is someone who doesn't have a mum or a dad. What's a dad? A father. God the Father. Oh, there we go. So in the one verse, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all present, doing the same job together, and you can't separate them. That's just in a simple verse. There's other verses in here, which, you know, in verse 26, which we read before and we'll read again, you'll see, you know, the language of the Trinity in there. So... What this means is, if you have a bit of a fear of the Spirit, if you're a bit uncertain about the Spirit, you go, oh, isn't the Spirit the weird part of God, you know, like, that does those weird sort of gifts and that sort of thing? Um, what you need to realize is, it's, it's not a reasonable thing to separate the Spirit off like that from Father and the Son. Because they're too connected. You can't do that. You can't think of the Spirit as Jesus' spooky cousin. Uh, because Jesus doesn't leave that door open for us. 
One thing I love about the Trinity is that it shows us that God is in his very nature relational. Within himself. Before anything was created, before anyone was created, God had relationship within himself. The three members of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship together. You might have heard rumour that God created people because he was lonely and he needed someone to hang out with. It's not true. He already had perfect relationship within himself. That's why his priority, and that's why Jesus' priority was our relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. Good relationships are just a theme throughout the entire Bible. You could argue it is the theme of the Bible. So I love this about the Spirit um, being part of the Trinity. I love this idea of God being relational. Um, and it's a really helpful... You, you know, if you're getting stuck in all the, the complications of the Trinity and how did it work when Jesus became a person and blah, 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 those are fun sort of theological questions to ask. But you really want to come back to those, the heart of those things. God in him very self is relational and he wants a relationship with you. Okay, let's just talk practically now. We've talked about Trinity, like high-level theology. We've talked about the Spirit, this invisible um, way that God works in the world. Practically, what difference does it make in life? Like practically, what should you expect? If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit living in you, or you're coming along, you're checking out Christianity, and you've got the sense that God might be working in your life, like you know, he might be with you and guiding you towards him in one way or another. How can we expect this to play out? Well, there's lots of different ways, lots of different ways that can happen, and we're not going to cover all of them tonight. So I'm just going to take three from the passage, directly from the passage, and then hopefully we'll get a few more in the, in the coming weeks. 14 verse 21, have a look at that. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So this is really helping us with our hearts, knowing that we are in a loving relationship with God, helping us to love him, helping us to receive his love. That is what the Spirit can help us do when the Spirit's living in us. You know, we want that relationship with God to be a loving one, uh, you know, not competitive or combative or whatever. We want it to be a, lo a loving relationship, and that's what the Spirit helps us do. Verse 26, it addresses our mind. Sorry, this verse addresses our mind. So the Spirit, sorry, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So there, the Spirit is a teacher, teaches our minds, helps us to learn about God, helps us to understand Him, how to follow Him. And it's, again, it's flowing out of what Jesus has already taught. It's not in con contradiction to it. But the Spirit will teach us all things, as in the Spirit will teach us beyond just what's written down in the Bible. The Bible is great for the, for the, for the whole population of the world. It's not going to help you make decisions about your career or your friendships um, or what to do in a conflict situation, specifically what to do in a conflict situation. It'll give us those broad brushstrokes, but the Spirit can teach us in more detail and guide us in those areas in ways that go beyond but never contradict what's written down for us in the Bible. And in verse 27, the last of our Bible reading today, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled 
and do not be afraid. So the Spirit gives us peace. Something that's kind of lacking in the world generally, even in like, like we're a pretty peaceful country as far as war is concerned in Australia, but geez, we're pretty good at avoiding peace in just sort of, you know, normal sort of everyday relationships. Um, one of the things that agitated me a lot about the, the, all the debate around the, the marriage survey was just how badly people treated each other. Like just how good we are at sharing fear and hate and taking a conflict. Conflict's not necessarily bad in itself, but if the conflict is just about you winning instead of about finding peace, uh, then that leads to all sorts of horrible things. People, you know, I mean, social media in particular, people are just treating each other terribly. But put, us, put aside the big national thing that's just happened, just gossipy stuff, you know, at school or the way people treat each other at work or even within families. There's not a whole lot of peace going around. And so here's what I think, here's how I think it works. If you see those things, if you see people treating each other bad at school or you get on social media and you see people just trashing each other over whatever issue, and you get this sense that that ain't right. This is not the way it's meant to be. I believe that's the Spirit of God guiding you in that direction. When the Spirit tells you, you know what, you don't have to win this conflict, we should be seeking peace, that is... God giving you that desire for peace. And within yourself, and if you really connect with that, and I think if you really trust God and find your identity in Jesus, you will find that peace that surpasses all understanding. Quoting another part of the Bible there, and something that we actually say in our prayers sometimes together. The peace that surpasses all understanding. That you can actually have a peace inside yourself, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when someone looked at the circumstances like, there's no way you should be at peace right now. Look at all these horrible things that are happening to you or around you. And yet God can give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. So there's the three things. Spirit can help us with our hearts, can help us with our minds, can bring peace. That's just from this passage. There's a whole lot more. What I wanted to do is just finish with a story that I think, from my life, that I think demonstrates all three in a way. Um, uh, and hopefully it can be an encouragement to you. It, it's a story from just not too long after we'd moved to Diamond Creek and I'd started working here. And I'd got, I went on this leadership retreat um, that went for a few days, a Christian leadership retreat. And one of the days, they said, from breakfast till dinner, no talking, no interacting with other people. You've just got to head out. Uh, no eating either, actually. We were fasting. So it's like you've got the whole day, just you and God. Opportunity to pray, reflect, read his word, appreciate his creation. Go for it. Um, so here I am, me my own thoughts and God, and that's it. And um, it, was, it was a great experience, uh, and I highly recommend scheduling something in like that for yourself you know, on a semi-regular basis. Uh, but I had a fair bit of agitation. I wasn't particularly peaceful at that point. You know, starting a new job, those of you, you know, you started a new job, it was going fine, but it's just, it's just a kind of a stressful experience, getting your head around a whole new group of people and a whole new way things are working. So a bit agitated about that, and it was a bit of uncertainty because we didn't have a senior minister at that point, and so it was sort of like, what's the future going to look like here? And I have chronic fatigue syndrome, and it was misbehaving. So my disease was not treating me well at that point. I had a very sick year, and I was starting to just go, 
can I, God, can I even work? Like, I just I'm so, I feel so crook and run down. Um, you know, we've got two, two kids. I think there's one kid, on the, one kid and one on the way. And it's like, am I going to be able to cope? Like, is this, or do I just have to shut up life for a bit, you know, and, and sort of not do any of these things that I'd be hoping to do and so on? Anyway, so I'm going for a walk down near Westerfolds Park, right? So if you think about it, I'm walking on the, the Yarra. I've got the water on one side, and on the other side, I've got a cliff um, or a very steep hill. And just walking along, having, checking out the view, and one of the trees really took my eye. You know those sort of big, majestic gum trees that you see every now and then? They just, they just stand out a bit more than all the other gum trees that are around. This one stood out in particular because it was sort of leaning a long way out over the cliff, sort of creating a big you know, canopy over the, the path. It's one of those trees where you look at it and you just go, oh, whoa, now that's a tree. <laughs> and um, so, But it had this dead branch on it, like this grey branch with dead leaves, looked like it could fall off if you know, a strong wind came along. And so I'm looking up at this tree, and I really do feel like that God spoke to me, not audibly. I mean, it's this, again, it's a bit mysterious. Try, is it an interrupting thought? Is it a gut feel? But whatever the case, I really felt like God was communicating to me. And he basically said, to summarize, he said, see that tree, that's how I see you. Yeah, you've got this sort of dead, rotting bit that's not good, and we're going to have to work with that. But my eye is not caught by that first. My eye is caught by, check out that tree. That's great. That puts a smile on my face. And yeah, we're going to have to deal with that bit together. And this is a real clear communication for me from God. Um, it spoke to my heart because, you know, I, your feelings are important. Feelings are not everything, but they are important. And I was very encouraged in a spot where I'd been a bit glum and down. Um, it also reminded me of Jesus' teaching. It reminded me that my sins are forgiven. It reminded me that my identity as a person is not in how many great things I can do and how physically awesome I can be or how great I can be at my job, but it's that I'm, I'm known, uh, made and loved by God. So it reminded me of all these things that Jesus taught and it did bring me peace. You know, It was an agitated sort of period of my life and it really helped me to relax and to calm down and be content in the situation that I was in. Now, uh, I don't tell you that story so that you can have an identical experience. That would be dumb because you are not me. You've had different experience, life experience to me. You're a different personality. But that it was a way that was super encouraging for me in the way the spirit living in me just helped me to have that great relationship with God. And I do think that's built into my relationship with other people and um, the way I was able to work here and be in my family and so on. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 